0: Okay. Good morning. And welcome to Tuesday. It is February 23 and it's great to have you company Marcus Paul in the morning. If you'd like to be a part of the program, you can call us anytime. 13 12 69 is our telephone number and emails mp in the morning at 2 com. and if you want to send us a text 0458 049 209. The program all about the news and your views. Well, I see COVID vaccines could be rolled out even more quickly than initially planned if the New South Wales government continues to receive more doses of the jab than expected. I see the Premier yesterday, Gladys Berejiklian, said New South Wales would not muck around in bringing the rollout forward if the vaccine arrives here fast enough. Uh, She said yesterday, from what I've heard and from what I've been advised, there could be a chance that the timetable that was issued could be brought forward. Ms Berejiklian revealed she had doubts that the vaccine would arrive before March, describing the first New South Wales doses being administered as a really positive experience. Uh, The Premier also said her government will look at bringing our timetable forward if it gets good and positive news about vaccine supplies. I think the people of this state know that we don't muck around. That was the Premier of New South Wales yesterday. Well, things seem to be going from bad to worse for former NRL star Sam Burgess. He allegedly failed a drugs test and was charged with traffic offences. In the Southern Highlands, the former South Sydney player, who as we know is... Been in the news in the last, well, ever since he's basically retired from the game. He's been in the news on and off for indiscretions involving family members and alleged acts of uh, violence. Uh, Wasn't he also the subject of an apprehended domestic violence order? Anyway, the former South Sydney player was charged yesterday afternoon with driving an unregistered car. And police will also allege this bloke has never held a New South Wales driver's licence. Well, what the hell was he doing on the road for? I don't understand. I mean, he was a a former international rugby league player. A very high-profile, highly paid football player. What, he couldn't afford to get a licence? beyond me anyway 13 12 69 the telephone number now I like this story teachers could be offered government help to buy a house or find their partner a job if they move to regional and rural New South Wales what a great idea this might be it's under incentive review measures being looked at to address staff shortages And look, if they can do this for teachers, maybe they can also look at doing it for doctors and nurses. Because as we know, we've got a shortfall of medical practitioners out in the bush. It comes as Western Sydney, uh, I beg your pardon, Western New South Wales, suffers an acute teacher shortage that's forcing many principals to assign classes to teachers completely unfamiliar with the subject. They're also having to bring former teachers out of retirement and hold virtual lessons with teachers who are elsewhere in the state, usually in Sydney. I mean that's a a really good initiative and I hope it has legs. We might talk about this a little bit more this morning. Uh, Meanwhile the shift to working from home will have an impact on people's property buying patterns. See more and more people are expected to move away from the CBD, which could also lead to households being financially better off. I mean, would you consider moving further away from the city? I mean, let us know, 13 12 69, the telephone number. All righty, uh, now on the program this morning, it's fourteen and a half after five, Andrew Lee, Labor MP, uh, our regular on a Tuesday morning will join us. Andrew will talk about JobKeeper. The returning money back into government coffers has passed the one hundred million dollar mark. So congratulations to Andrew on this. It's a, a very uh well it's a very good positive campaign that he's been running. That is, those big companies that have made profits over the course of the COVID nineteen pandemic are repaying the JobKeeper payments that they received. And so they should. But there are still a few that are lingering and that basically are snubbing their nose at suggestions that, you know, uh, maybe you should pay back some of the the uh, very generous taxpayer incentives so that, you know, our kids and our grandkids aren't left with this massive debt for decades to come. One of them that's in the sights of Andrew Lee is Harvey Norman. Come on, Harvey, Jerry, you need to do the right thing. Anyway, all the details this morning with Andrew Lee. Pauline Hanson will be on the program. The better off overall test has been removed from the industrial relations legislation as a result of One Nation's pressure. So we'll talk about that and also the merger of the Family Court and the Federal Circuit Court. Now, she's been deeply involved in this issue of the family court since the 1990s and can point to lots of benefits on this move. All right, well, that's on the way with uh, Pauline Hanson this morning. So a couple of interviews after seven and eight, and we'll let you know what else is happening around the traps. If you want to have your say, give me a call. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Right, Craig's there. Good morning, Craig.
1: Good morning, Marcus. Uh, the way we treat victims of sexual assault in this country is absolutely shameful. And uh, i tell you something. What's been happening down in Parliament House and these women coming forward and the cover-up is also just as
2: shameful.
0: And... Well, yes, another one uh, came up yesterday. Uh, Got to be a little bit careful now because police are involved, so I'm going to be backing off on this story. Uh, because I don't want to prejudice uh, a fair trial by, you know, the accused. But, yes, I mean, the greater story here is, I don't think necessarily now, whether or not, uh, you know, uh, well, I think maybe you're right. It's the, the sense of a cover-up. It, it it really stinks. Really stinks, I think. It yeah, uh,
1: r- really does. And and just another thing, hasn't Sam Burgess got some demons?
0: Well, yes, I mean, I don't understand... Uh, why uh, a bloke who earned so much money playing football, I mean, he wasn't a brain surgeon, he earned so much money playing football and now he's alleged uh, to have been driving a car on New South Wales roads down in the Southern Highlands without actually ever holding a licence. I, I just don't get that. Yeah, alcohol and drugs uh, destroy a lot of lives. Well, yes, I'm not quite sure what's involved here, but you're absolutely right it does. I don't know whether that's the case for Sam. Could be. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind this morning. Uh, let's have a look here. I oh, don't forget, here at 2SM and at Marcus Paul in the morning, we're proud to support hashtag Make March Purple for Epilepsy. How will you make March purple this year? We think a great place to start is in our schools. Now epilepsy impacts one in 200 children in Australia. That means there's a child living with epilepsy at most schools across our country. These kids deserve to feel safe and supported at school. A great way that you can help them is by raising awareness for funds for people living with epilepsy. If you're a parent, teacher or someone involved in the local community, reach out today and find out how you can hashtag MakeMarchPurple. Simply go to allthews.epilepsyaustralia.net for more information. Dennis, are you there, mate? Dennis. Come on, mate. Hello, buddy.
3: Mate, I, I really hope they pull that off and really go forward with that thing with the teachers. And as you said, the doctors, the nurses, the cops, anybody and everybody... You know, it, it's a good thing for people. It's a good thing for the kids because, you know, when I went to school, they brought retired teachers out. We had a, yeah. a teacher who was within his 70s mm. in our
4: high
3: school. Yeah. You know, because you had 40 in a class and it got so big, but that, that's all you know, that, you know, if, if you're looking at that, it's a long time ago because I've passed that age. So, yeah. You know, there, there are things that, let's just hope that that gentleman Lee, whatever his name is, can pull it off or, I do it. And, you know, it, it's 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 made my day. I'm going to look at that epilepsy. I, I do too many things. I've got to stop a little bit. But, you know, you get kids with autism. And there was a girl the other day, Marcus. Yeah. She had four people that she was looking after, you know, in the shopping centre. And they were walking around smiling and happy and had an ice oh, cream. Oh, I, love, that, I like, love
0: seeing these people, these Oh, carous, I, I, they're I, amazing. I can't help myself. Yeah. It costs
3: me 20 bucks every time I go up and I give the girl 20 bucks. I say, the next ice cream's on me. Oh, really? Isn't that you nice? Know, and, and it's just, I, I, I get in awe yeah. of, of those sort of things that there are people that, and they really care. And, and the, the girl was only probably in her 20s and there was a little, you know, when I say, without being disrespectful. I know what you mean. You're right, right Dennis. It, you know, she just, hang on, I'm coming. Hang yeah. on, I'm coming, you know, and there's a
4: smile, and I go, wow, mm-hmm.
0: and I said, look at that. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's a really good uh, situation, oh. and I love seeing these carers, and you're right, quite often there's just, you know, one or two young people who are caring for uh, those with disabilities, and they go on their shopping trips, and uh, yeah, you're right, it's amazing. I love it. that do I? Takes a very special but person to do that, I but think. you Dennis. have a lovely day. All right, buddy. Right, i mean. Talk soon. There he is. See Dennis, 13 12 69. The telephone number. It's Marcus Paul in the morning. Give me a call. Uh, I see the University of Sydney is in the crosshairs of conservatives. Apparently, um, they've been accused of reaching new levels of wokeness by changing their logo to an 11 color progress flag to coincide with the start of Mardi Gras. Well, look, if it's only temporary, who cares? The university announced it would change its logo across social media to the new flag which contains the six colours representing the LGBTIQ community traditionally seen on the rainbow flag. But it also includes black and brown stripes to represent marginalised people of colour as well as pink, blue and white for the transgender community. Now the move has led to calls for the university to focus on its core functions with accusations the initiative was actually promoting division. Oh, rubbish. What a load of rubbish. How the hell can something like this promote division? Unbelievable. Dr. Bella Debrera, the director of the Foundations of Western Civilization Programme at the Institute of Public Affairs, said the effort showed the university had completely sold out to identity politics. Or well, Bella... I don't understand people like you. I really don't. How's it hurting you, Bella? How's it affecting you? You know, if they want to make people feel more inclusive around Mardi Gras time, and if they want to support people from backgrounds with, I guess, you know, uh, maybe some disadvantage, the hell does it matter? I mean, the use of the progress flag as a more inclusive alternative to the Gay Pride rainbow flag has grown steadily since 2018. It'll continue to grow, despite, I don't know, right-wing nut jobs like you, Dr. Bella Debrera. Just take it easy. I mean, for goodness sake, some of these people wake up and, I don't know, they must take some kind of nasty pill with their coffee each and every morning. News next at 5.30. Marcus Paul in the morning.
5: Wake up, jumped out of bed While the other mobs playing thousands of ads in between reading scripts We're bringing you all the news and views Good morning everybody morning. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM
0: Okay, here we are for a Tuesday, it is the 23rd day of February Give us a call, let me know what's on your mind 13 12 69, the telephone number The so-called Regionalisation Agenda paper has been released today and it's being led by the National Farmers Federation. What it's supposed to provide is a clear pathway for regional development and it builds interest to encourage Australians to work outside urban areas. Now, National Farmers Federation General Manager Loretta Wallace says this interest, well, it's already building the interest in this. Anyway, we might have a little look at this in more detail. We will, in fact, after six this morning. But if you want to have your say, I mean, how important is it for governments, legislators to provide, you know, better pathways for people to perhaps spread out from our cities, give more incentives for younger people, perhaps getting into areas like the teaching profession, you know, being able to feel comfortable moving away from their family and their friends in the bigger cities. It's a very difficult thing for, for young people to do. You're moving away from your support networks and there needs to be incentives in place. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. Alrighty, uh, now, I don't want to say too much on this now that it will become a police matter, but former Liberal staffer, Brittany Higgins, will meet with Australian Federal Police today to lodge a formal complaint about her alleged rape. This is the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, backs an independent system to better support staff. Well, I guess it's better late than never, Prime Minister. Miss Higgins confirmed last week that she had re-engaged with the Australian Federal Police and now has an appointment with police. In fact, it's tomorrow. So Ms Higgins tomorrow will meet with the Australian Federal Police and will make a formal statement about the events surrounding her alleged attack. We know the story here, she's accused a senior colleague of allegedly raping her on a couch in the office of Defence Minister Linda Reynolds. This happened back in March 2019 following an evening drinking with staff. Ms Higgins previously said she had hoped a formal investigation would be completed in a timely manner after waiting a long time for justice following her alleged rape. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister continues to face questions about what his office knew and when his staff received a media request from a journalist on Friday, February the 12th. But Mr Morrison claims he still did not learn about the allegation until Miss Higgins' story went public 48 hours later. The Prime Minister also revealed he is supportive of an idea being put forward by some coalition and Labour MPs for a totally independent body to manage parliamentary staff. Well, again, better late than never. Uh, the PM said, I think there is merit in that. but uh, but this is for the processes we put in place to actually consider those things and make recommendations. He said, referring to the number of reviews announced following Miss Higgins' allegations. Look, at the end of the day, I mean, the Prime Minister says, I really don't want to prejudice any of this. Well, then, Scott, you need to move aside and let an independent viewpoints occur on these incidents. There's no point in uh, appointing, well, really, there's not, in appointing people you know and... You know, but others within your own government to look into itself, okay? It opens up a, you know, a, a real issue, I think, anyway, of, I don't know, of maybe <laughs> things perhaps being glossed over. There's a conflict of interest there, is what I'm trying to say. That's why it needs to be 100% totally independent, Anyway, he says uh, yesterday, what we need to do is ensure that people are able in these circumstances to feel they can raise the issues. Well, look, that's true, uh, ScoMo, but look, the only way people will feel comfortable about raising these issues is if it's at an arm's length from your office or your government. It's as simple as that. Both the culture of the Parliament workplace and the structures in place to support staff will be investigated at a number of levels, including a bipartisan independent review. The Prime Minister has also asked his department to review what his office knew about Ms. Higgins' specific allegation and when. Now, Health Minister Greg Hunt, I see, has voiced his support for an independent system that will address the structural problems in how complaints or concerns are managed. Well, look, I don't know. If one of your staff members comes to you alleging rape in an office of a minister, don't worry about, you know, what (laughs) structures are in place. Call the police. Don't order in the steam cleaners. Call the police. Don't deal with it internally. Don't bring in, you know, the fixers and, you know, Finkelstein and other people from within the government because, again, it opens up, an issue of cover-up and, let's be honest, a conflict of interest. Keep it hushed. You know, ridiculous. Anyway, the Australian Federal Police have made assurances, apparently, to the government that they will handle this matter thoroughly and transparently. Meanwhile, Miss Higgins still claims people within the coalition who were aware of her allegations in 2019 opted to protect the Liberal Party over supporting her. She said I believe that getting to the bottom of what happened to me and how the system failed me is critical to creating a new framework for political staff that ensures genuine cultural change and restores the trust of staff. Well, it's about time. 131269. Okay, uh, it's now eighteen minutes away from six. Bob's on the open line thirteen twelve sixty nine. Good day, Bob.
1: Good morning, Marcus. How are you, buddy?
0: Well, thanks, mate.
1: Mate, I heard you talking earlier about epilepsy. Yes. And uh, I just wanted to make comment how things have changed in that area. I mean, for the people, especially the young people that suffer from it, because years ago, and I remember that. They were sort of, uh, you know, they didn't, you know, the authorities sort of didn't want to know about it, but, and you know, because they did, probably didn't understand it. Now, I don't know if you remember uh, John Dallas Donnelly, the rugby league player. played oh, for, West, and played so for West, yeah, Dallas, yep. Now, Big Dallas suffered from epilepsy. Now, he could, he never got a license, and he actually played for Australia. Yep. He, he was an international Mm-hmm. But when they found out he suffered from uh, epilepsy, yep. no longer wanted to sort of uh, pick him playing for Australia. Mm. Now I know that culture's changed, but back then I'm glad it has because you know we've got to look after those people. And I grew up with a with a fella that suffered from it, and it was terrible. He used to have a fit. And yep. We used to try and restrain him, and then he'd go into a deep sleep, and he wouldn't remember much about what happened.
3: You know? Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: and and nine times out of ten too. Is they used to injure himself, you know? Yes, and I'm I'm glad today that you know it's it's getting the recognition it should have had, you know. And I, I remember Dallas. Dallas wasn't allowed to drive a car because he suffered from epilepsy, but you know, it's it, it's good, mate. And I think we've got to we've got to recognise it because, like I said years ago, then people were sort of virtually victimised, you mm-hmm. know.
0: No, well, they shouldn't be. Uh, They should be supported, and we should learn as much as we can about it because, as I say, epilepsy impacts one in 200 of our kids in Australia. It means that there's a child living with epilepsy at most schools across our country, and, of course, as we say, these kids do deserve to feel safe and supported at school. Uh, What can you do? Well, a great way you can help them is by raising awareness and funds for those living with epilepsy we will support it. Make March Purple for Epilepsy. Go to all the W's for more information there.
5: Wake up in the morning. Wake up. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5 a.m. on 2SM.
0: All right, 12 minutes away from six. The prime minister will seek party room endorsement today for a quote-unquote modest permanent increase to the doll, in exchange for stricter, stricter mutual obligation conditions. Now, this is once the $150 COVID-19 JobSeeker Supplement ends next month. Now, the Australian newspaper's been informed that a major reform package designed to jettison up to a dozen other welfare supplements has been shelved due to the long-term cost it would impose on the budget. Now, the proposed increase to the dole comes as the government starts the national rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine with 60,000 priority health care staff, quarantine workers and aged care residents across the country due to receive injections this week. Now, following a lot of pressure from welfare, lobby, business groups, the Reserve Bank... And amid growing support from within government ranks themselves to extend pandemic payments for the jobless or permanently lift the base rate, Cabinet was yesterday preparing to sign off on the first real increase to the dole since the mid-1990s. It's understood that a meeting of the Expenditure Review Committee last Friday decided to abandon a broad-scale reform proposal, streamlining our welfare system into a single higher payment for unemployed Australians, eligible to receive up to a dozen other supplements or subsidies. Now, the government has instead opted for an isolated, permanent rise to the JobSeeker payment, which is currently set at $565 a fortnight for a single non-renter with no dependents. Now, they say to accompany the increase, a further tightening of the mutual obligation conditions will also be introduced in what a senior government source described as a carrot-and-stick approach aimed at keeping the jobless out of poverty by getting them back into work. All right, well, if we want to keep the jobless out of poverty, then we need to obviously ensure that any job key, job seeker payment or dole or new start or whatever the hell they're going to call it this time around... <laughs> We need to ensure that whatever payment is set is in line or at least just above the poverty line, which many to me suggest is around eighty odd dollars a day. What do you think? Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine the telephone number. Good morning to you all. Good morning, good morning, good morning.
5: Podcast Marcus Paul in the morning at any time. Go to 2sm.com.au and click the show page.
0: Yes, on the show page, plenty of content up there for you to comment on. It's five to six now. We're off to the news in just a couple of moments with Di. But I see that our most far-reaching inquiry into the gig economy and future of work will today resume public hearings in New South Wales State Parliament. The inquiry will hear from two riders who were fired recently by the company Hungry Panda. After they complained about having their pay slashed without warning, Hungry Pandas management will then appear to explain their actions, having failed to front the inquiry last year when they were called. The specialist food delivery company is also under pressure to explain the death of a delivery driver, who, despite dying at work, the regulator SafeWork New South Wales only learnt of his death after a trade union reported it one week after the crash. Yeah, far, far more needs to be done. If if this is the way some parts of our economy are heading, uh, the gig economy, if you like, then greater protections need to be in place so we don't have cowboys operating within the system that lead to unsafe work practices. I would suggest, to be perfectly honest, that there's a lot more rider or driver safety courses Included going forward, because I'm sorry, uh, I've said it so many times. Some of these riders or drivers, whether they're on their mopeds or, you know, electronic bicycles, etc. Some of them haven't got a clue what they're doing. I mean, again, yesterday, yesterday in the city, a bloke on a moped stopped dead in front of traffic. I saw it stopped dead in front of traffic because he needed to check his phone, which was on his handlebars to obviously see where he's next (laughs) Ah, uh, meal was being delivered to. Dangerous. More driver or rider training is essential, I think, going forward. News next, six o'clock.
5: Genuine talk on the radio.
0: Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, I see the New South Wales government says a key plank of its COVID-19 economic response is being delayed because the city of Sydney is dragging its heels in approving critical social housing developments. Now the council says it's working closely with the state government on these projects but we all know, come on you're not fooling anybody Clover, new lot, we all know how councils love to drag their feet on approving DAs. Just get on with it. The assessment periods need to be quicker and we need to get construction started immediately.
5: Marcus, Paul in the morning.
6: We're decades behind where we should be on social housing. We we need not, you know, 900 new social housing dwellings. We need thousands
2: and thousands of public housing dwellings built um, so that people can have somewhere to live.
5: Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus, Paul in the morning. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning.
0: Okay, good morning. Welcome back for those that have already been with us so far. It's great to have you company as we broadcast around New South Wales out of 2SM Sydney in the Grand Goulburn studio. Give me a call, let me know what's on your mind. There's plenty of news around. I see the Prime Minister has taken an early election off the table. Well, that's according to an article today in the Sydney Morning Herald. PM Scott Morrison has told colleagues to plan for two federal budgets before the coalition government heads to the polls. It's another sign that perhaps the Prime Minister will resist any temptation to capitalise on his strong personal support and call an early election this year. Several government sources have apparently told... Fairfax, that Mr Morrison and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg had confided in colleagues that a two-budget strategy was part of a planning for the nation's economic recovery before any attempts to win a fourth term in office take place. So the government will deliver its next budget, as we know, in May of this year. and The latest date that it can call an election is May 21 next year. So perhaps we'll get a, a federal budget, obviously, we will get one in May this year, and then another one under Josh Frydenberg in May next year. Probably brought forward, though, to April. That's what it would mean. It's a similar tactic that Mr Morrison used to set up his attacks on Labor's big taxing agenda before the 2019 election. The government could go to the polls in a standard election at any time from August of this year. But Mr Morrison's apparently told party room colleagues that he was a full-termer and was not considering a snap election while he led in the polls. Another key factor, they say, is the national rollout of the coronavirus vaccine. The government hopes all Australians will have had at least one dose of either the Pfizer or AstraZeneca vaccine by October. Uh, The PM apparently told colleagues that elections are just too hard to win I cherish every single day we will do it for the time we said we will now at the weekend he said Australians were relying on him and his team to protect their livelihoods to protect their lives to maintain the health of the country and to make sure they roll out the vaccination in a timely manner so there we go Okay, if you want to have your say on that, 13 12 69 being the telephone number. So what should a fair amount of job seeker money be per week? Adam Bance has taken to Twitter saying, this shouldn't be controversial. You should be able to eat and keep a roof over your head, whether you're full-time, part-time or unemployed. And then he's got the hashtag 80 a day. Well, the time has come for a real discussion on this. I mean, I'd love to know your thoughts on what the amount should be. The Prime Minister will seek party room endorsement today for a modest permanent increase to the dole in exchange for stricter mutual obligation conditions once the $150 COVID-19 JobSeeker supplement ends next month. Now, the Australian newspaper has been informed that a major reform package designed to jettison up to a dozen other welfare supplements has now been shelved. Uh, this is the story we brought you last Friday. The proposed increase to the dole, of course, comes as the government starts the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine with 60,000 priority health care staff, quarantine workers and aged care residents across the country, set to receive injections this week. Now, following a stack of pressure from the welfare lobby, business groups, the Reserve Bank, and also amid growing support from within government ranks to extend pandemic payments for the jobless or permanently lift the base rate, Cabinets was last night preparing to sign off on the first real increase to the dole since the mid-1990s. It's also understood that a meeting of the Expenditure Review Committee late last week decided to abandon this broad-scale reform proposal that we told you about that would streamline welfare systems into a single higher payment for unemployed Australians eligible to receive up to a dozen other supplements or subsidies. Now, the government has instead, apparently, opted for an isolated permanent rise to the JobSeeker Payment which as we know is currently set at $565 a fortnight for a single non-renter with no dependents. So again, we'd love to hear from you, 13-12-69. Some have suggested $75 a day. Pauline Hansen, for instance, on this program last year said that that was the figure she would like to see. But does it at least has to be in line, I think with the poverty line and maybe $80 a day is far more realistic. All right, with this issue about to become a formal police matter. Um we're not going to say too much more about this now to ensure justice takes place for both this brave young woman, Brittany Higgins, and the person at the centre of the allegations who does deserve a fair trial. so just in relation to this on our social media page in particular, hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, we would like you to try and refrain from any comments that might prejudice this issue going forward, and that includes naming and photographs of the so-called accused. So we hope we have your understanding on this because uh, we don't need uh, this trial if it does get that far to be prejudiced. So Brittany Brittany Higgins, the former Liberal staffer, will meet with Australian Federal Police tomorrow to lodge a formal complaint about her alleged rape. This comes as the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, backs an independent system to better support staff. Well, that's better late than never. Now, Miss Higgins confirmed last week she had re-engaged with the Australian Federal Police and she now has an appointment with them tomorrow to make a formal statement about the events surrounding her alleged attack and therefore it will now become a, a police matter. So we'll refrain from talking as much about it as we have And that's proper. Uh, 131269, the telephone number. Oh, look, he's made the news again. Former Liberal MP Daryl Maguire. What have you been up to, Daz? A Transport for New South Wales official was outraged over the apparent leaking of the route of a Sydney motorway to controversial former MP Daryl Maguire, allowing a Chinese developer linked to the MP to go on a buying spree along the corridor. Boy, oh boy. An internal file note documenting the top bureaucrats' concerns has been tabled in New South Wales Parliament and obtained by the Fairfax Press after Transport for New South Wales unsuccessfully battled to withhold it from the public. Yeah, they've got a fair bit to hide when it comes to this bloke. In the document, Transport for New South Wales Executive Director Tim Raymond notes that a senior colleague was demanding answers after the apparent leaking of confidential departmental information. Who has been talking to who, he wrote of the meeting with her. How did Darrell McGuire get that info? <laughs> well, come on, do we really have to think that hard about it? Anyway... The file note was created after a decision by Hong Kong developer Country Garden to splash out eighty five million dollars on the purchase of farmland at Quarter on the southwest outskirts of Sydney back in twenty seventeen. I'll say some more on this very soon, but I mean this bloke, Daryl Maguire. thirteen twelve sixty nine. Um, All right, I also see Deliveroo's annual workers' compensation premiums have fallen from nearly $870,000 to $217,000 after it stopped insuring food delivery riders under its scheme, exposing the state insurer to the costs of uninsured claims. Internal documents seen by the Herald show Deliveroo workers made more than half of the claims, 53 out of 96, for compensation from February the 2nd, 2019. An increasing number of injuries and deaths, including those of five food delivery riders who worked for several companies within a two-month period late last year, will be among issues facing a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry from today. Now, the scheme overseen by the New South Wales Workers', workers Compensation insurer iCare is legally obliged to compensate uninsured gig workers if they are deemed workers and not independent contractors. Anyway, if you want to have your say on any of this, 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, on the program this morning, Andrew and Lee will be joining us in around about an hour's time. Uh, the federal member for Fenner and uh, a regular on Tuesdays on this program. Today, Andrew, again, will have another big business in his sights, a big business that has increased its profits and done extremely well in the last 12 to 18 months, considering the fact that we're going through a pandemic. Now, JobKeeper payments that have been returned to Australian taxpayers have passed the $100 million mark. So well done to Andrew on his campaign. It's not about necessarily picking on big business at all. It's about ensuring that Australian taxpayer dollars, uh, of which a lot of this stuff is borrowed, remember, it's, it's about ensuring fairness and equality when it comes to paying this thing off in the future. Now, if big companies like Premier Investments and Harvey Norman, for instance, have done extremely well during the pandemic, better than expected, and they've been propping up their businesses with job keeper payments, then they need to damn well pay this money back. Anyway, Harvey Norman is in the sights of Andrew Lee, and he wants Jerry. I don't think Jerry's got anything to do with Harvey anymore, but anyway, he still carries his name. Uh, but the push is now for Harvey Norman to do the right thing. Also, Andrew is going to outline the NBN, the National Broadband Network, cost failures for us this morning. Now, Pauline Hanson, am I right? Did Pauline vote against an independent at length or an arm's length inquiry into uh, the allegations in Canberra in the last few days? I hope not. I'll be asking her. And if she did, I want to know why. I'm very disappointed. Anyway, we'll talk to Pauline about that after 8 o'clock this morning. And also this better-off overall test. The boot has been removed from the industrial relations legislation as a result of One Nation's pressure on the issue. And Pauline will also be talking to us about the merger of the Family Court and the Federal Circuit Court. She's been deeply involved in this issue since the 1990s and she can point to lots of benefits on this move. And that's despite a lot of pushback from many including or well, stack of women's organisations and benevolent societies and all the rest of it, they're not at all happy with the merging, if you like, of the Family Court and the Federal Circuit Court. But aren't they pretty much the same thing anyway? And I would have hoped that the streamlining of these courts would allow for the backlog of cases to be heard in a more timely manner. I mean, it's about, in my opinion anyway, isn't it about ensuring what's in the best interests of the children? And in so many occasions, and in so many ways, parental alienation is still occurring. And I know that that's a bee in Pauline's bonnet, certainly a bee in mine, and I know uh, that many of my listeners, particularly men, have had issues with parental alienation. They break up with their wife or their partner, and, and then essentially, the next thing they get is a court order, usually having to pay child support as well. And of course, you know, all good fathers pay child support and you should absolutely support your children regardless of what happens in your relationship. But you should also be able to see those children or that child because you have, under the law, supposedly equal access. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) this hasn't been happening and parental alienation is still a thing. And of course, a lot of women do play the the old cards of alleging domestic violence. And as soon as a report's made, even if there are no admissions made by the man involved, of course, that prejudices him, I think, in any ongoing action in the family court. But anyway, there is a backlog. And there's little doubt that COVID-19 has had a fair bit to do with this. So I I don't really mind the merging of the two courts if it means that... You know, the, the backlog of cases can be heard quicker and that alienated parents, whether they're men or women, but mostly men, can get back to seeing their children. All thirteen, twelve, sixty nine. 13 12 69, the telephone number. After six thirty this morning, um, our mate Jordan Shanks has done some more brilliant work in relation to well, state and federal politics, I won't spoil it. We're going to play that for you. I think we'll do, we'll play it in its entirety after 6.30 this morning for something different. Uh, for those that might have missed it or those that don't normally listen to Jordan's work, it's well worth a listen. Absolutely. So I'll play that for you after 6.30. Uh, I received yesterday, and I know Justin's going to enjoy doing this a little later this morning, Scruff, and, uh, and Di will come in as well, but I received yesterday a note from an old mate. Who's uh, I think he's in radio these days, but he certainly followed my career. He sent me an old rate, what we call in the business, an air check. So it was when I was I don't know hosting a night show. I think it was today. Was it today FM or one FM out in Penrith? It was when I was 21 years of age. I was hosting a kids show at night, and um, I, I did a lot of those sort of countdown shows, etc., playing all the latest pop music and. It was fun. I loved it. I thought I was king of the kids. Anyway, Paul, his name is, he sent me a, an air check of when he was a, uh, well, a contestant on a segment that I used to do called School Wars, where uh, kids from schools in Sydney would ring up and take on each other, and we, we called it School Wars, and at the end of it there were prizes, etc. It was good fun, but very bad, particularly the fact that I sound like a 10-year-old. Some say I still sound like a 10-year-old. Anyway, we'll play that back for you for a bit of fun after 8 o'clock this morning. OK, police want our help following a suspicious fire at a cafe in Bankstown. Now, it happened early this morning, just after 1am, emergency services attended Chapel Street following reports of a fire at a cafe Now, fires were there very quickly. They extinguished the blaze and a crime scene was set up. They've been told an item was thrown at the building just prior to ignition. The person who was clad in black clothing was last seen riding away on a motorcycle. Now, the building sustained minor damage, but obviously police suspect there's a bit of arson involved here. So they're treating it as suspicious and they're asking anyone... Who may have information about this incident to get in contact with Bankstown Police on 97832199 or of course you can always call Crime Stoppers their number one 333 0. Less
5: ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning.
0: Right, here we are, 25 minutes away from 7 Andrew Lee MP. Uh, will be our first guest on the program after 7 o'clock as we try and claw back more and more millions of dollars that have been paid out in job keeper payments to big businesses that have done pretty well during the pandemic. Harvey Norman are apparently in our sights today, uh, still waiting on premier investments to come good. Uh, Solomon Lou and his mates, who have pocketed, what, in excess of 20-odd million Australian dollars during the pandemic just to keep people employed. That's fine. That's what it was for. But, I mean, they made a mozza. So, as a result, they should really be paying this money back. Ooh. I see another hit piece in today's Daily Telegraph on the Rudster. Kevin Rudd, ousted former PM, Kevin Rudd, has failed in his bid for a royal commission into the media diversity in our country. The former Labor Prime Minister launched a petition in October which attracted more than a half a million signatures and was tabled in federal parliament the following month. Well, I guess a half a million Australians don't matter, perhaps, I don't know. Uh, this was always doomed to fail, unfortunately, uh, considering, you know, we've got Murdoch basically at the behest of our Prime Minister, or vice versa. Anyway, yesterday the Petitions Committee published a letter from Communications Minister Paul Fletcher, which said the Coalition will not be advising the Governor General to initiate a Royal Commission into Australian news media. Oh, really? No kidding. Mr Fletcher said while petition signatories requested the House of Representatives support the establishment of a Royal Commission, the Parliament did not have the power to call such an inquiry, adding, Royal Commissions are initiated by the Governor-General on the advice of the Government of the day. So in other words, we're not going to. The frustrated Mr Rudd took to Twitter to criticise the decision. Well, he's not the only one who's frustrated with the media landscape in our country at the moment. There is a monopoly going on and it is not healthy for democracy. But so many people just turn a blind eye to it. And it's so much easier to have a crack at Kevin 07 and, you know, talk about his failings perhaps. And, you know, in, in fairness, there were failings by Kevin Wright as Prime Minister of this country. Every government has failings. But... Look, I don't, uh, I don't buy into the argument that Kevin is on some kind of vindictive revenge or vendetta against Rupert Murdoch, who Mr. Wright claims helped kick him out of office. The greater picture here is what's at stake. I mean, Kevin Rudds will come and go. But, you know, everyday Australians should be getting a, a diet of news that covers all political ideologies. And not just LNP propaganda or right-wing cronyism that we find in, you know, the Daily Telegraph. Again, you know, Mr. Rudd gave evidence on Friday in Canberra before a Senate committee that was initiated by the Greens when when he said that, look, all they do is smear and run campaigns, to which uh, News Limited people ret- retorted saying, that's ridiculous, Kevin. We, we would never do anything like that. It's not how we operate. And yet over the weekend, in every single one of their major publications, even in local news on the Gold Coast, up in Townsville, Townsville Bulletin, up and down the coastline of Australia, they were running again more negative stories and hit pieces on Kevin Rudd. <laughs> I mean, completely and utterly contradicting themselves. Anyway, it's failed. It was always going to fail. Um, No government of the day, whether it's Labour or Liberal, of course. If the narrative by a major media organisation is in their favour, why on earth would they want it to change?
5: What's your name? Marcus Paul in the Morning
0: Our hashtag Water Warrior is Murray MP Helen Dalton and I'm happy to say Helen joins us in the studio You say that our watchdogs are turning into nothing more than lapdogs it's because the government controls their funding
7: Last year the Students, Fishers and Farmers Party introduced a bill into the Upper House to make sure that watchdogs are independently funded and separate from the Premier and Cabinet Yeah. Uh, and um, so as, as soon as tomorrow we could be bringing that bill um, into the lower house, so I'll sure. be taking charge of that. Unless we can have some independent regulation or regulators, we will always have somebody rooting the system.
5: While the other mobs playing thousands of ads in between reading scripts. We're bringing you all the news and views. Good morning, everybody.
4: Morning.
5: Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Okay,
0: 16 minutes to 7, Andrew Lee MP. We'll talk job keeper and companies that need to repay some of this money. After 7 o'clock right now, though, again, our mates, Jordan Shanks, a.k.a. Friendly Geordies, has done another cancellation. You know how
6: in my how to solve a problem like Fred Geordie's video, I pointed out that since Jodie McKay became opposition leader of New South Wales, state politics editor of the Sydney Morning Herald slash snarling demon Alexandra Smith had written like three articles on her and 103 about Gladys Berejiklian. May I just say, wow, her bias is completely fixed. Straight after that video was released, she wrote the most charitable article she's ever written about Jodie McKay, which, remember, she's written three articles, so it's not saying much. But it was, Labor pushes for more jobs in the bush to revive economy. Environment. She obviously meant to put in an end, but she's so lazy and it definitely wasn't to save face at all that she didn't even do that. So tick, four to one hundred and three or whatever. Good on you Alexandra, bias fixed. But then after this winning streak, she went back and acted like Jody McKay was a liberal with principles, i.e. didn't exist. Until it came out that a Liberal Party staffer was raped in a ministerial office and Scott Morrison covered it up. It's as I said this morning I became aware of the alleged sexual assault. Uh, at about 8.30 yesterday morning. That is true. That is when I became aware of it, Mr Speaker, and the first that my office uh, became aware of an alleged sexual assault, I'm advised, uh, was on the 5th of April of this year. Sorry, no, the the 12th, I'm sorry, I've misread that, apologies, the 12th of February 2021. That's when my office first became aware, I'm advised, of, of an alleged sexual assault. I mean, it's literally The Simpsons' meme. <laughs> I can't divulge info about the police investigation that opened on April 5th, 2019. That would have ruined my election chances. Oh crap, I shouldn't have said the police knew about the incident. Oh crap, I shouldn't have said the case was opened on April 5th, two years ago. Oh crap, I certainly shouldn't have said it would coincide with the election. Ah, uh, f- I didn't make that, but whoever did, I give you credit, I, I don't know, Matt Groening. So naturally, Alexandra Smith, the opposition leader obliterator that she is, has a journalistic responsibility to drop as much as possible on Labour to distract the fact that we have a Liberal Prime Minister that covered up rape and committed an offence by misleading parliament. And she did that! with this incredible, clearly public interest exclusive. McKay back man for visa despite indecent assault conviction. And the SMH knew what they were doing is clearly gutted journalism. So they turned off the comments in advance. Jody McKay as a local MP forwarded some documentation onto a tribunal as to whether this man could stay in Australia. It was falsely categorized by that tribunal as a letter of support. Turns out that that man was a pedo and yet somehow all of that, that bureaucratic error that had nothing to do with Jodie McKay, is Jodie McKay's fault. Good on you, Alexandra. Got to the bottom of that one, didn't you? Fuck you, suck. I'd ask you how you sleep at night, but I'm pretty sure you're a ghoul. You don't sleep. She made someone else's administrative error into Jodie McKay supports pedos. And then when Jodie McKay denies it, the headlines become Jodie McKay denies supporting pedos. No one supports pedos. This is what the public thinks because of this journalism. You look around, I have seen the press report, and they don't even know her name. I've seen two journalists on television, I'll forgive one of them because they're Karl Stefanovic's brother, but the other one, what's your excuse for calling her Jodie Mackay? They know so little about her, and so even to the press, all they have on her is, uh, isn't your policy in the next election to be pro-pedos? Yeah, as a mainstream workers' party, that's their only platform. ScoMo being under pressure kick-started the way-too-common phenomenon known as the free press. ScoMo does something bad, needs to distract media. Alex Hawke or one of his other simpy fixes drops to the media. One outlet runs it. The rest of the media pick up on the smear. Shock shock! say exactly, In all my 30 years of broadcasting, I've never seen something as disgraceful as what insert name has done. Insert name, you need to resign now. Then anonymous Labour MPs start slinging mud at Jodie, sensing a chance to get their preferred leader in. So now that you've seen part one of the rest of the press picking up on it, here's part two. I'm sorry to say for Jodie McKay, but she is a dead woman walking. Politically speaking, the opposition leader wrote a letter for a pedophile who was applying for a bridging visa. There are some telling signs coming out of New South Wales Labor about Jodie McKay's future or lack of future. Ben, you have an audience of exclusively 80-year-olds and you accidentally retweeted pornography. No one listening to you even knows what that is, but I do. Yet you're saying Jodie McKay's finished because of someone else's mistake? Here's part six, rats in a sinking ship. But have a listen to some of the comments shared with me From some of her own colleagues, these are sitting Labor MPs, and I quote, Jodie hasn't got the depth or the intellect to be leader. Her polling is the worst in New South Wales opposition history. Oh, okay, gotcha. Jody should resign for basically your neighbour's mail accidentally being delivered to you. Let's have a look at some of the other scandals over the last year or two that didn't warrant resignations. John Barilaro was found by me and Michael West Media to have debt-trapped the Italian community of Queenbeyan in order to steal their clubhouse. No resignations. One article. Was it written by Smith, who's the head state politics editor? No. Here's one for Dash Cam Owners Australia. David Elliott, the police minister, impersonated a police officer to intimidate a 17-year-old P plater in a road rage incident. Gladys Berejiklian illegally shredded government documents. Don Periday ripped off Every injured worker in the state Brad Hazard led in the Ruby Princess. I'm pretty sure the guy that led in the Trojan Horse in Troy was demoted. Oh, and who could forget just a little footnote, Gladys Berejiklian had a secret relationship with a corrupt MP that didn't declare it that she should resign just on that. Not only did she turn a blind eye to his corruption, she then took over a government department to help him with it and then lied to ICAC. Still there. But no, no, Jody needs to resign. Why? Because! F*** you, blocked! Let's be real about why Jody has to resign. It's the same reason that Michael Daly did, the same reason that Luke Foley did, the same reason that John Robertson did. If you're on the side of the people, you have to resign for looking at someone the wrong way. But if you're on the side of corruption, you're Teflon. Listen to this awful careerist's opinion piece on Gladys Berejiklian. This is her covering up for her corruption. If last year wasn't remarkable enough, Gladys Berejiklian defied political logic and survived a sex scandal that would have ended the career of perhaps any other politician. I wonder why. You and the press seem to think that ICAC is just a state-funded version of that show, Hot or Not. How am I telling the state editor of New South Wales Politics, as in, this is the most senior best gun they have really shouldn't have to tell you that it's the independent commission against corruption, not the independent commission against cunnilingus. Gladys Berejiklian is objectively corrupt, unfit for office, yet you're still playing cover for her. And to the Labour Rats dropping to Fairfax and the Murdoch press hoping that their preferred leader gets in, I've got some bad news for you. You think the press is going to be satiated by killing the career of one more Labour leader, do you? You think this is just like feeding that fat guy in the Monty Python sketch a mint? Think again. They knocked off John Robertson for something almost as salacious and trivial. They got Luke Foley on an allegation of indecent touching that was never proven. Michael Daly was done for using the A word, Asian. And now they're saying that Jodie McKay likes pedos. So don't worry, they'll find something on the next leader. Anything. They'll just just get a dart, chuck it at one of his press releases. China is a country that exists. Chris Mintz doesn't believe that Taiwan's a country. You know what's so infuriating about all the reasons the press give for why Labour leaders should resign? Unlike the reasons that I gave for the Libs, it's just dobbing, it's just a bunch of smarmy private school pricks using the same prefect little f***ing strategies they use, look, f***ing Lucy Cormick, f***ing school captain.
7: Me, it's just into like pedophiles. Mm,
6: Jordan's obsessed with Joe Hildebrand, he's stalking him. Use the A word, the A word! And you can just tell, not even the jocks from high school, the f***ing nerds, the f***ing Fucking nerds are in these positions of power sinking legitimately good people's careers and people that actually want to help the state out as well. People that they'll never f***ing see or have any contact with. People that need Shell Harbour Hospital not to be privatised. Now they don't get that, so they get to sit in a f-ing air-conditioned office. Gladys Berejiklian's scandals literally prove that she uses the office to enrich herself and her numero uno. It proves she hides from the press and breaks the law. John Barillara's scandals are proof that he will do anything to enrich himself, including steal from the community he claims to support and love. Hazards? Well, they just show that he's a hazard, he lets in plague ships. Look at how lazy, untalented and unchallenged the press are. This is what 9 News is using as an argument as to why Jodie McKay should resign. Ms McKay has a long history of calling for ministers to resign. The police minister.
7: Why is he still in your cabinet?
6: Health minister.
7: We are today calling for the health minister to stand aside.
6: Treasurer. The treasurer
7: must be stood aside.
6: Deputy Premier.
7: Will you now do the honourable thing and resign?
6: And Premier Gladys Berejiklian herself.
7: When will you finally stop deceiving the people of New South Wales and resign?
6: Jodie MacKay has called for every cabinet minister's resignation and half the backbench, but she's now got to stand up to her own standards. You have to resign over something trivial that you didn't do because you called for people to resign over serious issues that they didn't resign over and did do. How brainwashed do you have to be to be sitting at home and thinking, Yep, she had to be right, keep him honest, Pete. I think that is proof for more than anything, and I know I've never said this before on this channel, but you really need to get two of your friends to subscribe to Friendly Geordies. You subscribe if you haven't, because come on, at least we're doing better analysis than the head of state politics at Nine Fairfax. And Channel Nine is talking to millions of people with that jig. Like, subscribe, get yourself a lane gang shirt, and this time I've got two hashtags for you. The first one is hashtag cancel Fairfax, because if you know anybody that is subscribed to the covert cum rags of Costello, get him out of it. It's a cult. It's just a giant nationwide Aztec like cult. And the second one, hashtag buttstuff Ben. Let's get it trending. Let everyone know every time they're going past one of those giant billboards of telling it like it is. (laughs) Good morning to you all.
5: podcast marcus paul in the morning at any time go to 2sm.com.au and click
0: the show page all right uh good morning um that video by the way is up on our socials hashtag marcus paul in the morning uh really good email that's just come through from kevin somerville marcus cancer is insidious my partner stephen is fighting it It's a daily battle. One of my very dear pals in hospital right now trying to manage the terrible pain caused by his cancer. Another good mate is recovering from another surgery to manage his symptoms. And last night we got a message from a much-loved friend in the UK that he had just been diagnosed with yet another form of this terrible curse. I hate this thing. It destroys the lives of everyone it touches and those nearest can only watch on feeling useless. He then goes on to say the reason the COVID vaccine has been developed so quickly has been because every government on Earth gave truckloads of money to the best scientists to rapidly develop a vaccine, and they have done in a year. How about after the pandemic is a memory, these same governments give that same truckload of cash to those same scientists to try and find a cure for cancer. Well said. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Should the Prime Minister of this country step aside? Because I believe, personally, that he's misled the Australian Parliament, he's misled the people of this country, and I don't buy for a moment, Anthony Albanese, that Scott Morrison did not know that this young woman had been allegedly raped in sight, well, less, as you put it, less than 50 metres from his office. It's, it's inconceivable to me. It doesn't pass the pop test. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. Well, well it is quite extraordinary, uh, these revelations. And then also, if, uh, if the account of the Prime Minister is correct, how has the Defence Minister kept her job? What we need here is just transparency for people to, to say what happened and when. Uh, I think that Ms Higgins deserves...
5: Uh, nothing less than that. This is Marcus Paul in the morning.
0: Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Okay, good to have you company on this Tuesday morning. It is January the 23rd. Did I say January? February the 23rd. Idiot. 131269, the telephone number, if you would like to have your say. Uh, we're getting quite a few emails and uh, i'll just go to a couple now because andrew lee mp is joining us on the program very soon talking about job keeper payments ronnie says good morning marcus get your listeners to google wikipedia news corp to see how much coverage murdoch press has in queensland let alone the rest of the country love the program on you, champ thank you ronnie moss appreciate that and lynn Good day, marcus jordan absolutely brilliant and refreshing our memories of all the wrongdoings of the teflon coated Liberal Ministers and the Premier in New South Wales. Total hypocrites who are never held accountable would love copies of this sent down the road to, to newspapers and television stations. It's the best take I've heard. Regards, Lynn. Well, it was very good, wasn't it? Very, very good. John has sent me an email as well. Marcus, I heard you mentioning uh, Darrell McGuire on the program this morning. What's the latest news? Is it true with Daryl Maguire how a Chinese investor went on a buying spree, buying land on a proposed government development? How did he get the inside information about the proposed developments? Well, John, the story is a Transport for New South Wales official was outraged over the apparent leaking of a route of the Sydney motorway to controversial former MP Daryl Maguire, allowing a Chinese developer linked to the MP to go on a buying spree along the corridor. An internal file note documenting the top bureaucrats' concerns has been tabled in New South Wales Parliament and obtained by the Herald after Transport for New South Wales unsuccessfully battled to withhold it from the public. In the document, Transport for New South Wales Executive Director Tim Raymond notes a senior colleague was demanding answers after the apparent leaking of confidential departmental information. Who's it been talking to, he wrote of the meeting with her. How did Darrell Maguire get that info? The file note was created after a decision by Hong Kong developer Country Garden to splash out $85 million on the purchase of farmland at Corda on the southwest outskirts of Sydney back in 2017. Country Garden reportedly wrote to planning authorities in December 2017, lobbying for an interchange to be built because the new M9 motorway was anticipated to pass through the northeast corner of the site. However, the motorway route was not publicly unveiled until three months after the letter was written, prompting politicians to dub the company the Nostradamus of developers. See, they can see into the future, you see. Aren't they clever? <laughs> yes. In July 2018, a month after the Daily Telegraph first revealed the letter, Wagga Wagga MP Daryl Maguire was forced to quit the Liberal Party after he was recorded talking about receiving commissions from Country Garden in tapes played to the Independent Commission Against Corruption. The following month, Mr Raymond wrote a file note entitled Feedback from Clare 16 August. This appears to be a reference to a meeting... With the then Transport for New South Wales Deputy Secretary Claire Gardner-Barnes addressing the land deal at Corda, Chinese investor buying up land, who has been talking to who, it reads. What MPs being briefed? How did Darrell Maguire get that info regarding Wagga? Now, the memo has come to light after One Nation MP Mark Latham called for documents relating to the Corda land sale to solve the mystery who gave Country Gardens the inside information. In response to questions from the Herald yesterday, Country Garden, now known as Rizland Australia, denied it was ever in possession of confidential information relating to the route of the M9 motorway. Uh, A Rizland spokeswoman said, the company strongly rejects the assertion that Darrell Maguire had any involvement with the purchase of this site. Rizland relied upon publicly available plans on road routing, In that area, that were provided by exhibits by Transport for New South Wales back in 2015. These provided indicative only plans for the M9 orbitable. Well, Transport for New South Wales initially withheld the file note when it tabled a trove of documents to Parliament last year on the grounds that it contained commercial in confidence details and personal information. Parliament's independent arbiter, Keith Mason QC, was scathing of those reasons when he ordered the documents released in January, accusing Transport for New South Wales of failing to engage with reality. He added that the reference to Daryl Maguire in the file note may speak for itself. So this latest revelation comes after Mr Maguire has been referred to the Independent Commission Against Corruption by Mr Latham for not getting approval from Premier Gladys Berejiklian to travel overseas while he was in a secret relationship with her. The ICAC referral followed a four-week corruption inquiry in 2020 that examined whether Mr Maguire misused his position as an MP and Parliamentary Secretary for his own financial gain. Documents since obtained under a parliamentary order show that Mr Maguire sought approval from then-Premier Mike Baird for trips to Shanghai and New Zealand in 2014 and 2016. How proud the people of Wagga Wagga must be of their local MP. Well, then, once local MP. All right, welcome back to the program. 131269 is the telephone number. All right, well, let's have a look here. Harvey Norman have been experiencing a a once-in-a-lifetime retail bonanza. Its dividends last year totaled $300 million, more than $100 million of which went to billionaire Jerry Harvey. Mr. Harvey says his sales have been going crazy. So I guess it is crazy to think that he needs a taxpayer-funded handout. It's time to pay it back, Jerry. It's time to pay it back. We'll accept 12 months interest-free, and no deposit.: <laughs> Last
8: March, retail billionaire Jerry Harvey told 60 minutes that COVID was pretty much nothing to get scared of. He went on to boast that sales of his freezers were up 300 percent. Since then, more than two million people have lost their lives and Harvey Norman has experienced a once-in-a-lifetime retail bonanza. Its dividends last year totaled $300 million, more than $100 million of which went to Mr Harvey. This Friday it's expected to announce a six-month profit of around half a billion dollars. Yet Harvey Norman head office and its franchisees have benefited from millions of dollars of taxpayer support through the JobKeeper program. And it's not the only profitable firm to do so. Recently, Crown Perth Empire, Jamison, Maxitrans, hedge fund K2 and investment bank Mollus have announced JobKeeper fuelled profits. Some profitable firms have repaid. CEMIC's recent announcement takes the total repayment past $100 million. These ethical firms realised that JobKeeper was designed to keep battlers in work, not to help billionaires buy their next racehorse. Gerry Harvey once said that donating to charity was helping a whole heap of no-hopers survive for good reason. He then claimed it's changed. Well, Friday's his chance to prove it. Mr Harvey says his sales have been going crazy. So it's crazy to think he needs a taxpayer-funded handout.
0: Pay it back, Jerry. Well, well said. Andrew Lee, MP, joins us on the program. Hey, mate. G'day, Marcus. How are you? Well, thank you. Uh, what's the likelihood that Jerry Harvey will repay uh, these this millions of dollars in JobKeeper payments?
9: Well, he we can certainly afford to, Marcus. He's got uh, plenty of money in the bank. He's done uh, extremely well out of the pandemic. I don't think there's uh, another octogenarian around who's uh, done as well out of a pandemic year as Gerry Harvey. Uh, he's seen increased sales, uh, right going back to the uh, to, to early 2020. Uh, I'm frankly not quite sure how they managed to qualify for JobKeeper, but uh, they did, uh, and they've managed to get significant subsidies for head office and for the franchisees. And the fact is that when we've got a million people out of work, another million people wanting more hours, Mm. uh, the uh, challenges of uh, climate climate change and uh, declining productivity, uh, Australia needs money to spend on uh, profitable and important investments. Uh, What we don't need to do is be subsidising Gerry Hardy.
0: No, uh, and well done on the work you've done so far. I mean, I've heard you and I've, I've read... The information here, $100 million plus has so far been clawed back. And I think that's in, uh, it, well, mate, to be honest, I know you're very uh, modest, but that's in, uh, no, of course, mostly due to your hard work on this. And uh, it's been good that you've been holding these multinationals uh, to account and uh, big Australian companies who, you know, otherwise uh, probably would have kept this money.
9: That's right, Marcus. We've been working hard on this and it was really good to see CIMIC stepping up and deciding to repay their JobKeeper in full. Cochlear has repaid half of their JobKeeper uh, and other firms have said they're considering doing it. Uh, They're in line there with their corporate mission statements and with the values of everyday Australians uh, who recognise that uh, government ought to be there when you need it uh, but uh, it isn't just a chance to uh, snaffle money for shareholders. Uh, JobKeeper is a program designed to keep battlers in jobs, not yeah. to uh, uh, assist billionaires in buying another case of champagne.
0: Or racehorses, as you mentioned.
9: Indeed, indeed, in the case of those who are into uh, into thoroughbreds.
0: All right. Well, look, it's not necessarily to shame these big businesses, uh, but, I mean, they need uh, to reassess their moral compass. Why isn't the government doing more to claw this money back? Why? I mean, Josh Frydenberg in particular has been less than enthusiastic in chasing down these big companies to repay Australian taxpayer dollars.
9: Yeah, it beats me, Marcus. I mean, if there, if there was a uh, hundred million dollars uh, that was uh, going off to uh, some welfare recipient, then you'd bet uh, Scott Morrison would be out there, uh, but, uh, something that's hard but demanding the money back. Uh, but when it comes to uh, billionaire-run firms, then uh, he's, he's suspiciously silent. Uh, it's uh, very odd that uh, that I should be spending more time worrying about the government's bottom line than Josh Frydenberg. Uh, and when you look at uh, companies uh, such as. Uh, uh, the investment bank Mollus, which is uh, pa- uh, receiving JobKeeper or the hedge fund K2. You know, no one was saying at the start of last year, oh, this is going to be a, a way of propping up the profits of hedge funds and investment banks. So uh, that's not why JobKeeper was designed. Uh, and firms that have come through the pandemic well seen increased profits. There's no reason they shouldn't be paying that money back to taxpayers.
0: Well, speaking of money... What about the NBN and the cost and the failure involved uh, with this? What's the latest on this, Andrew?
9: Well, as you know, Marcus, uh, in 2013 when Tony Abbott came to office, he ripped up the plan to have full fibre NBN, uh, which would have been pretty critical during the pandemic if Australians could have enjoyed uh, the sort of broadband speeds that many other countries enjoy. Uh, We now know that uh, Tony Abbott exaggerated the uh, extent of the uh, the cost difference there uh, by perhaps $10 billion dollars. Uh, and that full fibre NBN uh, would have been a lot cheaper than the coalition claimed. Uh, As you know, last September they abruptly changed course and said they'd spend another $4.5 billion uh, on extending the fibre rollout. Uh, But it's much more expensive to to go back and patch it up than it would have been to to, to do it right the first time. Uh, Do it once, do it right, do it with fibre.
0: All right. Um, Just on another issue, Uh, I see the Prime Minister will seek party room endorsement for a modest permanent increase to the dole in exchange for so-called stricter mutual obligation reporting conditions. Once this $150 COVID-19 job seeker supplement ends next month, uh, many have suggested uh, it needs to be in line or at least above the poverty line of roughly $80 a day. Uh, What's your take on this?
9: let's see what the government government does. There's been a lot of talk on this and I'll wait to actually see an announcement before uh, uh, making making my own view on that. Uh, but I do think it's it's important that we recognise that this is money which uh, supports some of the most vulnerable in the community uh, and therefore flows right back into retail sales. Uh, people at the top of the distribution save about a quarter of their income. Those at the bottom of the distribution spend it all. Yeah, uh, so if you if you want to ensure that, uh, that the economy is humming, uh, then putting money into the pockets of uh, lowest income earners uh, is an important way of doing that.
0: All right, Andrew. Always good to have you on the program. We'll chat next week. Terrific. Thanks, Marcus. All right, there he is, Andrew Lee, member for Fenner, and, of course, uh, a regular here on Marcus Paul in the morning. I've got a note here from New South Wales Police at 23 minutes after 7. Uh, they're asking for our help after a woman was assaulted in a road rage incident in Sydney CBD last week at around a quarter to two on Sunday, Valentine's Day. Police were called to Wattle Street in Ultimo after reports a woman had been assaulted. They'd been told the woman was crossing the road when the driver of a black SUV beeped the horn and verbally abused her. It's then further alleged the man followed her into a nearby cafe where he physically assaulted her before throwing her bike into the street and smashing her mobile phone. What a charmer. Now during this incident, the 37-year-old woman sustained minor injuries to her wrists and hands. So, police from the city's Police Area Command are investigating, and as inquiries continue, they're appealing for any witnesses to come forward. So, if you saw this, get in contact with Crimestoppers, 1-800-333-000. 27 minutes after 7, Matt's on the open line on 13 12 69. Hello, mate. How are you going, Marcus? All right, thank you. Good yeah, no. mate. Um, I, I had some thoughts about what you're saying about JobKeeper. Yeah. Meow.
2: Um, I think it's an absolutely great idea that, that uh, Jerry Harvey should be paying it back, and, and that um, you know folks should be paying it back. But I mean, let's apply that to every subsidy. Coal and gas industry isn't profitable without subsidies. Neither is high tech pharmaceuticals. These industries do not exist without gigantic government subsidies. Why shouldn't the free market apply there?
0: Well, that's a good point. Um, I guess it doesn't apply because we want to try and ensure that we reduce our emissions, but look, I understand your, your point of view on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, and look, I don't think it's a um, you know an unreasonable thing to, to ask for certain, and, you know, to, to want certain industries to exist. The country has an interest in having certain industries and so, why shouldn't the government, you know, provide some sort of assistance to them? But I mean, then where do you draw the line? Does that apply to JobKeeper? Does it apply? You know, how do you decide what deserves a subsidy and what doesn't?
0: Well, that's true, very true. The, the difference being, I guess, and you're right. Uh, at least with JobKeeper uh, and the subsidies. That have been made available during COVID-19, a lot of that money is recycled back into the economy uh, with people buying things at retail outlets and that in turn keeps people in jobs. So, you know, stim- uh, stimulus uh, measures are always good, um, but I'm not quite sure whether, you know, we, we are getting bang for buck, you're right, uh, when it comes to subsidies in uh, particularly I guess, the, the sector uh, that's so controversial at the moment because of climate change, and that is the renewable sector. Thank you for the call, mate.
4: Great call, Matt. No worries, mate. Take care of yourself. Bye.
0: Alrighty, uh, our far, most far-reaching inquiry into the gig economy and the future of work will today resume public hearings in New South Wales State Parliament. The inquiry will hear from two riders fired recently by Hungry Panda after they complained about having their pay slashed without warning. Hungry Panda's management will then appear to explain their actions, having failed to front the inquiry last year when they were called Uh, This specialist food delivery company is also under pressure to explain the death of a delivery worker who died at work.
5: Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning.
0: All right, welcome back to the program. 131269, my telephone number, 2SM, supernetwork.com. If you would like to send us an email, I see the... Victorian government is considering a commission into crown the casino giants is uh, set to be probed by the Victorian government boy oh boy Uh, they've really been in the doldrums haven't they considering they got that big shiny new building in Sydney and unfortunately uh, uh, you can't gamble there well when I say unfortunately I hate gambling Uh, but you know for investors and Perhaps those that were looking forward to starting new jobs, etc. It's not good. Look, Sydney's inner southwest has been revealed to have had the highest number of job seeker recipients in New South Wales who are single and have no impediment to work, and the federal government is now urging them to move. That is, move for a job. Around 1.2 million Australians were on job seeker as of January. Of which around 476,369 people were noted as single and also of having no dependent children and no medical barrier to working full time. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of money. More than 10,900 people in Sydney's inner southwest do not have an obvious impediment toward moving for a job. That's according to analysis of current job seeker data. The next highest group of Dole recipients identified by the government is most likely to have no barriers to work are located in Sydney South West with nearly 10,000 people, followed by Parramatta with just over 9,000 and the Inner South West with just shy of 8,000. The top 10 locations in New South Wales also included Newcastle, the Central Coast, Blacktown, the Tweed, the Blue Mountains and the Illawarra. Now, Families and Social Services Minister Anne Ruston said there were hundreds of thousands of people currently receiving JobSeeker who were single and had no children and largely had no impediments to work who were able to pursue the job opportunities that exist across the whole economy. Just as the government takes seriously its responsibility to support people doing it tough, people accessing social security payments must take seriously their obligations to taxpayers to look for work and take it up. (laughs) Well, offer more incentives perhaps. I'm not sure. Uh, The government says they will encourage anyone who finds themselves unemployed to work with their employment service providers to look outside their past experience and use the opportunity to retrain or to try something new. Now, job vacancies in New South Wales reached 82,700 in the November quarter, according to the ABS, while the agricultural sector has been crying out for workers. So, in other words, whether it might be a short-term job in agriculture or casual work in the caring industry, that's what the government thinks you should do, rather than rely on social security. The pandemic support payment to unemployed Australians will be dumped after March, with a new permanent rate of JobSeeker higher than the pre-pandemic level of $40 a day expected to be announced very soon. The current $150 fortnightly coronavirus supplement added to JobSeeker will not be exceeded past March so what's the figure it should sit at and is there any merits to what Anne Ruston says should people in these areas who really have no impediments in other words no children going to school etc they're single no dependents all the rest of it should they consider moving outside of these inner city areas out into the regions and get a job considering that's where a number of positions are I mean, it's a big ask for a lot of people. You're moving away from your support network. I get that. I do understand that. I don't know. It's very difficult. But if that's where the work is, I mean, quite often I've known of plenty of uh, contractors, brickies, chippies, plasterers, who perhaps live in Sydney, but are, are travelling to places like Bathurst and Orange, etc., every couple of weeks to take on a job because that's where the work is. I mean, if some tradies are prepared to do that, why can't other people, perhaps, to do other jobs and consider a move to regional New South Wales, if only temporarily? Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. I see the New South Wales government says a key plank of its COVID-19 economic response is being delayed because the city of Sydney is dragging its heels in approving critical social housing developments. Now, the council says it's working closely with the state government on these projects, but we all know, come on, you're not fooling anybody, Clover, you lot. We all know how councils love to drag their feet on approving DAs. Just get on with it. The assessment periods need to be quicker and we need to get construction started immediately. Marcus, Paul in the Morning.
6: We're decades behind where we should be on social housing. We,
0: we need not, you know,
7: 900 new
2: social housing dwellings. We need thousands and thousands of public housing dwellings built um, so that people can have somewhere to live.
5: Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus, Paul in the Morning.
0: All right, 16 minutes away from 8 o'clock. Now, here at 2SM and Marcus Paul in the morning, we're proud to support hashtag MakeMarchPurple for epilepsy. How will you make March purple this year? We think a great place to start is in our schools. Epilepsy impacts 1 in 200 children across our country. That means that there is a child living with epilepsy at almost every school across the country. These kids deserve to feel safe and supported at school. A great way that you can help them is by raising awareness and funds for people living with epilepsy. If you're a parent, teacher or someone involved in the local community... Make sure you reach out today and find out how you can hashtag make March Simply go to allthews.epilepsy. I'll start that again. Go to allthews.epilepsyaustralia.net for all the information there.
5: Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning.
0: Okay, 12 to 8. Here we go again, an attack on progressive ideas of inclusiveness. I just don't get it. Do these people wake up and, I don't know, take a nasty pill with their coffee? How the hell is a flag that shows inclusiveness causing division? (laughs) Well, according to the Institute of Public Affairs, which of course, as we know, is a liberal mouthpiece, uh, they're offended. The University of Sydney has been accused of reaching new levels of wokeness by changing its logo to an 11-colour progress flag to coincide with the start of Mardi Gras. The university announced it would change its logo across social media to the new flag which contains the six colours representing the LGBTIQ community traditionally seen on the rainbow flag. But it also includes black and brown stripes to represent marginalised people of colour, as well as pink, blue and white for the transgender community. The move has led to calls for the university to focus on its core functions, with accusations the initiative was actually promoting division. What a load of rot. What an absolute load of of rot. Dr. Bella Debrera, who's the director of the Foundations of Western Civilisation program. Oh, God. Uh, Anyway, this is from the Institute of Public Affairs. She said the effort showed the university had, quote, completely sold out to identity politics. The University of Sydney promotes every item on the identity politics pyramid at the expense of diversity of thought, she said. There is one worldview, which is the orthodoxy. Universities have completely sold out to a single ideology of identity politics. Uh, What? Sorry, I don't get that. I really don't get that. How on earth are they being divisive if they want to be inclusive? It doesn't... Makes sense to me, anyway. Andrew says, "Marcus, as soon as I saw that the Institute of Public Affairs was behind the backlash, I understood what the biggest problem was. The IPA is the biggest controlling interest in the Liberal Party, being established by the same people originally, including Rupert Murdoch's father, Frank Murdoch, and there are some of the they are some of the nastiest people you'll come across. Ooh, really, um, Ilana says." Is it a temporary or permanent change? If it's temporary, then I don't see any issues. If permanent, then I'm not so sure. Um, all right, thank you. Uh, Dennis says, great, mate. It cancel Anzac Day, but okay for the Mardi Gras load of crap. Dennis, calm down, mate. Stop watching Sky News. The sky isn't going to fall on your head. Nobody has ever said that Anzac Day should be cancelled. Far out. Now that's divisive. Comments like that. Uh, Dennis, no one has ever suggested that we would cancel Anzac Day. You know what happened. Stop being ridiculous. Anzac Day was held in a different way last year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And by the way, it's just a flag. And they call people apparently on the left snowflakes. For goodness sake, get over it. 131269, the telephone number. Because they specialise in strata complex unit and commercial building repairs or upgrades network construction services, are the remedial building specialists that you can trust whether it's structural repairs, facade and cladding replacement, waterproofing upgrades to electrical and fire services, improving accessibility, concrete cancer repairs, well, Network Construction Services bring together over 70 years of combined industry experience. So, if you need repairs, refurbishment or maintenance to your strata complex unit or to a commercial building and you need it completed on time, within budget and to the very best and highest standards of quality, then Network Construction Services are the leaders in remedial building work. You can find out more at networkconstructionservices.com.au or give Steve a call there at Network Construction Services. The telephone number, 9808 5673. That's 9808 5673 for network construction services and as we always say on this program please support the businesses that support us at Marcus Paul in the morning and Wake up. out of bed. while the other mobs playing
5: thousands of ads in between reading scripts we're bringing you all the news and views good morning everybody
0: morning
5: Marcus Paul with days from 5 a.m on 2SM
0: all right. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. We've got the latest news, sport and weather coming up at 8 o'clock in just a few moments. Now, Pauline Hanson did tell the government it should drop its proposed watering down of the better-off overall test if it wanted support to continue negotiations on its controversial industrial relations legislation. So that's a good thing from Pauline, but I've been informed she voted with the government against an independent investigation into allegations of rape, in Parliament House. I'll ask Pauline that in just a few moments. News next. All right, One Nation Senator Pauline Hanson on the program very soon. Uh, in the meantime, I'm a little concerned by this, and maybe we need to speak to New South Wales opposition leader Jody McKay about it very soon. But uh, story today talks about how, again, Daryl Maguire apparently is involved in more scandal. A secret email from a senior transport official in July 2018 asks, who has been talking to who, what MPs being briefed and how did Darrell Maguire get that info? Documents obtained show the executive director questioned how the disgraced former MP Darrell Maguire knew about a major new transport route when Chinese investors were buying up nearby land. I mean, surely there are serious questions that cut to the heart of integrity in government. And again, Gladys Lynn needs to urgently explain what she knew about the matter. Or did she not need to know about that part either?
5: And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning.
7: Marcus has been absolutely fantastic to give me that platform to have a say on a lot of topics that I speak about.
5: Pauline Hansen.
0: OK, it's six and a half minutes after eight. Pauline Hanson, One Nation Senator. Morning, Pauline. Good morning, Marcus. Good to have you on the program. You told the government that it needed to drop its proposed watering down of the better off overall test if it wanted your support to continue negotiations on its controversial IR legislation. So what's happened here now?
7: They have dropped it. Actually, they knew that they, they rely on my vote. They have to um, listen to what I have to say and I've been listening to the people. I've been speaking to, you know, workers have been who are very concerned about it. It was the, you know, better off overall test with your employment, with your employer so that... Um, you weren't covered with that. They wanted to drop it for another two years. And I thought, no, it's not good enough because workers putting themselves in a position where you could have these businesses who will take advantage of it. And uh, I don't believe we can need to do that. Mm. I, I do believe that, you know, country is rebuilding. The unemployment is down lower than what they expected. Um, there is work out there. People just don't want to go back to work. They're still on JobKeeper and JobSeeker and uh, I think that people have to realise you've got to get back into work, otherwise we're not going to be able to run the country.
0: Yep, absolutely. The merger of the Family Court and the Federal Circuit Court, um, some people have criticised this move, particularly uh, benevolent societies and others, saying that it will unfortunately lead to further issues for women in particular. I don't buy that. Uh, I think, first and foremost, at the heart of any discussion whether it's in the Family Court or the Federal Circuit Court, should be in the best interests of the child. Now, you and I have discussed at length, Pauline, the issue of parental alienation, uh, which has seen, even during COVID, uh, ridiculous scenarios where fathers and some mothers, uh, the non-custodial parent, has been unable to see their child, even though they're paying child support and doing all the right things. Uh, The Family Law Court system does need a big shake-up Do you think this, the combining of these two courts will help alleviate some of the problems?
7: I certainly do actually I was on the committee that was uh, in 2018 we were on the committee and we actually travelled around Australia and heard evidence of course it's upsetting the elites in the judicial system and, and also those in the in the law profession because this was the golden what can I say the golden card to actually go from being a barrister or a solicitor or barrister on to being a judge in the family law court that was their aim that was the apple in their eye and actually the um, now that it's merged and it's actually Done on is Division 1 of the, of the two courts now, so you still have the two courts, they've merged together. What it's going to do, Mark, is it's going to streamline. Instead of having double sets of, of applications that go through one court and all go through the other court, it's actually going to streamline the whole pro- whole process. The courts are working on it now, it's harmonising, so they're calling it harmonising. So they set up programs as well. Instead of people just, you know, trying to find the applications, they can go online, pull out their their forms online. It determines whether you have domestic violence issues, how how it's best to treat you in the in the whole system. And if you started in the federal circuit court, and the your problems whether pro- property matters it may be to do with the children, divorce issues. If it became too complex, then you had to go to the family law court, which means you had to start all over again. The costs, the legal costs are atrocious. That's what we are focusing on. We're actually bringing down the family law um, reform report. See, this, the merger of the two courts was a totally separate issue. Yeah. I've been started up the FEM Law um, Act investigation that we've held with a joint sitting of both the lower and the upper house. We're bringing down our recommendations on next month in March, the 17th. I've personally asked for an extension of time because I want to get right, make sure all um, what I want to put in there is put into the report.
0: Yeah. Well, you've got a lot of support on this. Uh, you've got my support on this. The family law court Thank system you. in Australia does need uh, restructuring and it needs to be more equitable. Uh, and it's not a you know a mother versus father, male versus female issue. It's all about yeah. children. And in my Martha, opinion... yeah. can
7: I just say to you that, look, I've been involved in this for the first time I came in Parliament was 1996. I have actually been through the system as a as a wife myself, then as a mother and now as a grandmother. I've experienced the court system and I don't hide any bias whatsoever about whether male or female or how one should be treated or another. I've also, you know, spoken very at length periods on of Parliament with regards to this. A lot of the other people on Torah Parliament haven't experienced this, they have no idea what they're talking about Not and exactly. it's basically on a block. So What I look at is what is fair and just. I'm taking into consideration grandparents should have the right to see their children. It's about, you know, property matters. It's everything that's fair and square, and it's about the rights of the children. But also, it's about the rights that the parents have the the right to see their children.
0: Well said. Pauline, uh, I've got a couple of messages here from some listeners that are a little disappointed. Um, I'll read this one out from Matt. Pauline Hanson today voted against an independent inquiry into rape allegations at Parliament House. Is that true?
7: I voted against the Greens' motion and yeah. uh, to actually do that. What they put in the motion is exactly what the government has started doing. We started an investigation, an internal investigation, which they asked me, the first one, into the, um, to have the, a discussion over um, the culture of what is happening at Parliament House and how they can address that. With Linda Reynolds, they grilled her last week for about three or four days and it's mm. still going on. Um, I listened to that debate that's going on. This is a political ploy by the Greens, which I will not play their political games in the floor of Parliament. Um, besides, um, the Greens are so disruptive in the Parliament. What they did to me last week was disgusting. Yeah, but And <laughs> I don't have any time with them. All right. them. They're a bunch of ratbags.
0: All right, but isn't, isn't this issue far more important uh, than perhaps... Differences no, in political ideology?
7: No, because the the Liberal Party have started an investigation, have put
0: that forward. The yeah, Greens But doesn't that? Sorry, Pauline. Word for word. Doesn't that inve- shouldn't that investigation be at arm's length and fully independent? I mean, I don't personally. I don't. Well, I don't know, Pauline. I don't. No, I don't trust this point. I don't trust the Prime Minister to be totally and utterly I independent. Don't
7: trust him. I don't trust him either, and if he and if he says he didn't know about this, I don't trust him. I believe he he does know something about it, but there is going to be an independent review that is going to be done to done with it arms length. Okay. That was announced by the government. And don't worry, Marcus, I will follow this through because it's more than just one rape allegation. There's a there's a culture that goes on in Parliament House that needs to be addressed. Oh. And I was the one that actually brought it to board about another member of Parliament who was. Uh, sexual harassment of, of the of his um, staff. Mm.
0: All right. Uh, look again. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to be combative with you because you know I am a supporter of yours. I just I, I got a couple look, of notes and and uh, I'm glad you've explained it um, because I think just putting party politics aside. I think all Australians just want an at arm's length, fully independent inquiry into what's been going on in the culture uh, within the the halls of Parliament House. And um, my listeners in particular just don't trust the mob who are currently leading the country to investigate themselves.
7: I totally agree with you, right? But you don't know the politics of what goes on in that place either. I've always been upfront and honest. As I said to you, I don't trust the Prime Minister. He says he knew nothing about this. I don't believe him. I don't trust him. Yep, well and I will follow this through and I am asking the questions.
0: All right, Pauline. Always good to have you on the programme. Have a wonderful week and we'll talk again next Tuesday. Thanks, Marcus. Bye. All right, Pauline Hansen from One Nation. Well I asked her, um and my listeners wanted to know and I think she explained it fairly well that obviously, mm-hmm. uh, You know, regardless of whether or not we don't want there to be... There there is politics involved in this, and it does get nasty. And Pauline obviously has very little love for the Greens, and and that's her prerogative. But I don't really... To be honest, I don't really care. I just want all uh, politicians to come together to ensure that future allegations or any future issues regarding the ill treatment of anybody, men or women... Inside our most sacred Parliament buildings in the country are looked into, not covered up, and ensure that people can be safe at work. Male or female, but in particular women. Because, I mean, each and every day somebody else comes forward. And it should be of a major concern to all Australians. I mean, if young women in particular can't feel safe working within the walls of Parliament House in Canberra, then heaven help us. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, Diane coveney Garland joining us very soon. Justin's going to pop in as well and apparently they're going to have a bit of fun at my expense. I used to be a a music radio announcer um today FM in Sydney and 1FM out Penrith Way and down in Wollongong up in up in Brisbane the Gold Coast. Anyway, besides that somebody has sent into the program a an old what we call in the biz air check of a competition I did uh, when I was a, a night time announcer in Sydney, I think circa what nineteen ninety five. I must have been all of twenty odd year, twenty years of age. I sound like I'm five. <music> all righty, thirteen, twelve, sixty nine is the telephone number. Uh, we haven't got a intro here, but we've got something apparently. A little more exciting, is that right? Good morning, uh, Diane. Good morning. Hello, Scruff Face. Do you want me to sing Beyonce? (laughs) Uh, um, Nineteen minutes after right now. I think that's a no. (laughs) What brings the two of you into the studio? Oh, yes. I was looking through the uh, messages we received overnight, and Mm. I saw this one, and I forgot about all the other messages. Why? And I honed in on this one. Why? Someone... A mate of yours, I wouldn't call it a mate if he's sending this, to (laughs) an old recording... As but, you've been saying, as uh, a, a, a recording of way back in, I believe this is 1995. Yes. you would have been about four. I was a baby, and I sound like a baby as well. <laughs> See, <clears throat> back in the day, I was a you know a coming at you kind of radio announcer. <laughs> all the hits in the row and all. All that. the <laughs> hits, yeah, hot hits, uh, you know, better music and more of it, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> And uh, when I was working in Sydney, I did a nighttime show. I did a couple of different stations, but one out in Penrith in particular, at the old Mike Walsh-owned station, 1FM. Ah. It used to be 2KA, mm-hmm. and then it was uh, renamed 1FM, uh, 96.1, and I think these days they're The Edge or something, and they play hip-hop. <laughs> it's a long, long way from where it used to be. Anyway, it was a great studio there, right in the middle of Penrith, ah, old okay. Boric House next yeah. to the Hayden Theatres. It was wonderful. Have I... Distracted enough yet? Obsticated no enough? No We're still Display waiting. the damn thing
4: It's very oh. funny <laughs> What? <laughs> Alrighty, let's get into it Round number one of 1FM School Wars We have Paul Meck on the line from Richmond Hi, how are you Paul? Okay That's the way mate Back in the school Yep. Okay, and also Stacey Carnival from Collardon High School. Hi, are so you, Good, You have a good weekend? You sound yep. like right, a what did you doing voice. on the weekend?
7: Um, I spend the night at a friend's house.
4: Oh, that's always the way. That's good fun. Okay, guys, we are playing a trivia competition. Three questions to the both of you. When either of you know the answer, yell out the name of your school, okay? Okay. All righty The first question is, my name is... I beg you, pardon. we'll start it again. My new album is called <laughs> Don't Ask. It's still does. My single is called Sorrento Moon. Who am I? Colin. Stacy. Stacey. In. Stacey. Uh, Tina Marina. Well done. One to you. Well done, Stace. Okay. Okay, this is the second one. Listen very carefully, guys. Name this hot hit by title and artist. Here you go. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. Any idea, guys? Which one? Okay, Paul. Um... All right, well done, Paul. That's one each. All right, yeah, This is the third and deciding one, guys. Good luck. The new box office hit Dumber Stars. Oh, Stacey, very carefully, very quickly, too. What was that? Jim Carrey. Well done, Stacey. Fantastic. A double pass to see the Brady Bunch movie at the Multiplex is coming out to your house. Well done. Thank thanks for playing with us. Hey, Paul, you don't know, let School Wars empty-handed mate. some vouchers for you to spend a time zone with all your friends. Okay, thanks, mate. Thanks a lot, guys. Round number two of School Wars coming up real soon. Oh,
0: my God. What? Hello, i Marcus <laughs> Paul on the radio playing the hits. <laughs> yes, uh, with that big uh, fake voice going on there. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, He's embarrassed He's lost for
9: words now Can't go on
0: (laughs) Who was it that employed me Remember the old love god Richard Mercer Were you trying to be him Oh gosh No well Well see Richard was my uh, You know he moved on of course And went to uh, to do the the love song dedication show on I think the old mix, which mm-hmm. is now Kiss and Richard employed me and yeah, maybe I was trying to take his voice a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't
7: know. That's gold. Absolute gold. Well it's
0: a bit embarrassing, I have to say, but anyway, why not? I uh, love it. I love teasing you. I hey, have haven't you got some uh, some old tapes somewhere? I'm sure there is. I'm, oh, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm Diane's old ones. I would have some but I'm
7: reading the news as Diane Coveny Garland. <laughs> All right here's L- oh, the no, as Diane Coveny before oh. I was married. So, you know, All going right. back sometime.
0: Uh, well, I tell you what, both of you, here's the challenge. I am going to anybody out there that's listening, perhaps this morning, maybe you can send through uh, an old tape of either Diane or Scruff here. Uh, I don't care how old it is. I want to hear it and we're going to play it. I want my revenge and I want it served cold. It's 23 after 8. Good morning, Marcus. Paul in the morning. Coming at you. Less ads means more of your
5: views. Marcus Paul in the morning.
0: 25 minutes away from 9.13.12.69, the telephone number, Marcus Paul in the morning. David, hello.
1: Did you hear what happened when Britain's best confidence trickster appeared in court?
0: What happened, David, when Britain's best confidence trickster, trickster appeared in court? He sentenced, he sentenced the judge to three years in prison. <laughs> only three years very good 13 12 69 is the telephone number look if you're after a comfy new lounge made and delivered in three to four weeks well look no further than chili pip lounge designs what a great name you'll never forget that name and please support the businesses that support us here at marcus paul in the morning chili pip lounge designs are sydney's favorite lounge manufacturer sit back Unwind and relax in your Chili Pip Lounge, custom-made to suit your needs and reflect your lifestyle. At Chili Pip Lounge Designs, you can choose from a wide selection of styles available in fabric or leather, and absolutely anything is possible. Your Chili Pip Lounge is made for you the way you want it, brand new. Whether you're watching a movie, maybe having a laugh with friends, or snuggling with that someone special, you know... Netflixing and chilling. You will love spending time on your Chili Pip Lounge. Now, if you mention you heard it here at Marcus Paul in the morning, you will receive free fabric protection with your order, valued at 300 bucks. Home is where your Chili Pip Lounge is. Go to Chili Pip, that's C-H-I-L-L-I-P-I-P dot com dot A-U or telephone 1300 16 That's 1300 75 16 <laughs> little bit of cuteness for your Tuesday, world-famous Elsa. The koala is celebrating a birthday today. Remember Elsa? She melted hearts all over the world back in 2019 when she first made her debut into the world. In a tough start to life, Elsa was hand-raised by Keeper Hayley after requiring interference to ensure she was going to survive as Elsa's mother, Irene, was unable to produce milk. Now, Elsa, uh, well, her popularity boomed. As several videos of the fluffy koala went viral, visitors travelled from far and wide to personally meet Elsa the koala themselves and have their photo taken with her. Elsa is beloved by anyone who meets her and in her spare time loves sleeping, munching on fresh eucalyptus leaves, following keepers around the koala yard and doing everything she absolutely can to get extra cuddles and kisses. Uh, We've got a video up of Elsa. If you just want something just to tune out from the the world today, just go to Marcus Paul in the Morning on Facebook and check out Elsa. That video is adorable. We all love koalas, do we not? All right, we're off to a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to go to Canberra. Christina in the capital, plenty to talk about today. We'll get the latest headlines from her and, and see what our federal politicians will be discussing today. By the way, we'll also, a little later in our podcast, of course, include Andrew Lee and his call for Harvey Norman. To repay JobKeeper payments, come on, Jerry Harvey Norman. Harvey Norman has been experiencing a once-in-a-lifetime retail bonanza. Its dividends last year totaled three hundred million dollars, more than a hundred million of which was went to billionaire Jerry Harvey. Now, Mr. Harvey's on the record as saying that his sales have been quote unquote going crazy. So it is crazy to think that he needs a taxpayer-funded handout. It's time to pay back JobKeeper, Jerry, and pay it back now.
5: Wake up in the morning. Wake up. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM.
0: All right, Mark, are you there, mate? Yeah, uh, Marcus, how are you? All right, thanks. 17 to 9. What's on your mind, my friend? there's been an alarming number of attacks on uh, law
1: enforcement officers. It's not a day when you don't hear of of an officer being stabbed, punched, having their hair pulled or kicked or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's not acceptable. Um, I don't know why there seems to be this lack of, um, well, respecting authority out there. Um, It's not just young kids either. It's some women who you think would know better and whether it's spitting punching or attacking an officer in the execution of their duties i think there needs to be harsher laws i mean they're they're trying to get them through Uh, the problem is civil libertarians kind of get in the way and sneer and and carry on about people's rights what about police officers going about their daily routines? surely they have rights as well don't they
2: absolutely
1: but there's also an alarming number of reports coming up in the
0: in the media yeah. about
1: unlawful um, portrayal of police officers
0: well Have you noticed yeah. this well i haven't i to be honest i haven't noticed that but uh, i mean impersonating a police officer is a, an offence that's punishable by jail and you wouldn't want to get caught doing it you shouldn't do it
1: Well, when you write to the professional standards command you don't seem to get an answer out of them when you you write to them about this. That's the protocol. You write to the Professional Standards Command.
0: So do you know someone, or have you come across somebody impersonating a police officer, have you?
1: Oh, I've come across where, where it was in an organisation, but I was also wondering, how come uh, Commissioner Fuller's getting all palsy with the
0: NRNL? Well, that's been knocked on the head by the Premier, and that's a very good point. I would have thought that the police commissioner, who overall does a really good job in New South Wales, should be more focused on, I guess, you know, protecting his officers in relation to your call, but more specifically, protecting the the good folk of New South Wales from organised crime. We've had a spate of shootings, public place shootings, in Sydney's western suburbs that are apparently at the, uh, you know, uh, all due to a a couple of feuding... Uh, Middle Eastern families with links to organised crime. We need uh, the police commissioners' full attention on this rather than pulling recalcitrant rugby league players into line. They are professional footballers. The NRL makes a crap load of money each and every year and I think they should be responsible for cleaning up their own backyard. Don't they? I mean, they've already hired people, Catherine Lumby and others. To try and sort out their behaviour, it's obviously not working.
5: Now, on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital.
0: With Christina Rosengren. Alright, 14 minutes to nine. Good morning, Christina. How are you? Well, thank you, Marcus. How are you? Good, thank you. A former New South Wales Liberal staffer has been critical of the response received by the Prime Minister's office when she asked for help in regards to an indecent assault.
2: Yes, yeah, so this is a former state Liberal Party staffer, Dania Marney. She says she was indecently assaulted by a male colleague, and she told the ABC when she spoke up about this to her senior colleagues, uh, the feedback she got was that she was a political problem, basically. So she went public with her claim in 2019, and she also went to the Prime Minister Scott Morrison's Office for help uh, to talk about the handling of complaints. And in a nutshell, she was denied a chance to speak to the PM about the issue, and she was told by the PMs, principal secretary to simply write a letter. Now, as we've been seeing over the past week and and this week, the rape allegation made by former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins has really been shining a massive spotlight on the treatment of women within the Liberal Party and also the reporting processes for sexual assault for staff. And yesterday it was revealed that there's a fourth woman who's come forward to allege she was inappropriately touched by the same former Morrison government advisor who's accused of raping Ms. Higgins. And we just continue to hear issues about the way these claims are handled when women do speak up and ultimately how it's discouraging others from coming forward as well.
0: Well, that's right, and it shouldn't. Uh, I spoke to Pauline Hanson about this issue. Uh, There needs to be a fully independent, at arm's length, away from government inquiry into what the hell's going on there. The culture is deplorable, Christina, and it needs to change. All right, there are reports the government is planning to announce an increase in the job seeker unemployment benefits. Um, I mean, the idea that they were going to combine a whole heap of benefits together and subsidies, etc. last Friday, we reported on that. That's been kiboshed, apparently, but I understand the cabinet's been meeting uh, even last night to try and nut out something new here.
2: Yes, so Guardian Australia is specifically reporting that the government's planning a permanent $50 a fortnight increase to the base rate of JobSeeker. And it says that the Expenditure Review Committee has agreed to that. So that committee includes, of course, the PM and other senior government ministers. And this is something that's likely being discussed in the coalition party room meeting taking place this morning. And if it is approved, there will probably be an announcement not long after. There are, as you mentioned, there have been other considerations considerations terms of what this welfare should be like or what kind of uh, payments should be combined, but uh, that's you know, probably still something uh, being discussed. Uh, if this $50 a fortnight increase is introduced, uh, it will mean recipients will receive $615 a fortnight or almost $44 a day. Uh, now, during the pandemic, of course, we've been hearing a lot about how people lost their jobs, especially mm. at the height of the pandemic, and it's raised awareness about the importance of having a livable unemployment benefit and an increase of $50 a fortnight, if that's confirmed, will probably not be adequate for no, welfare
0: groups. No, really uh, well 40, $44 a day is well below the poverty line of, of what people uh, are suggesting it sits between $75 and $80 a day. All right. Yes, exactly. Uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has told his colleagues to plan for a two-budget election strategy, so that pretty much puts a, a kibosh to a suggestion that he might go early this year, although I wouldn't rule it out, to be honest.
2: Yes. So uh, this is a story out of The Age this morning. It's reporting that uh, the Prime Minister looks like he's still backing away from that idea of an early election. So some government sources have been telling the paper that Scott Morrison and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg have been uh, informing their colleagues to prepare for a two-budget strategy. And now we know the next federal budget will be delivered in May this year, and the latest date to call the next federal election is May 21st next year, uh, which would probably mean that next year's budget would have to be brought forward if this up to April if this yeah. strategy is implemented. So just to offer a bit of clarity, the government could go to the polls in a standard election from any time this year after August, but we've heard already heard prior to today that Mr Morrison isn't considering a snap election, which is what was speculated or has been speculated since he was leading the polls, but that does seem to be more and more so off the table. As we know, the timing of an election is always a, very much a, a political move. Yep.
0: All right, Christina. We look forward to hearing more of your reports today across the network. Uh, enjoy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. In the capital, Marcus Paul in the morning at ten to nine now.
6: This is your wake up call. Get on the phone, call Marcus Paul. Grab the phone. Get on the line. Go tell the world what's on your mind. Don't believe me? Just
4: die. thirteen zero sixty nine.
0: Yeah, just a little more on Job Seeker. The Prime Minister will seek party room endorsement today for a modest permanent increase to the dole in exchange for stricter mutual obligation conditions once the $150 COVID-19 Job Seeker supplement ends next month. Uh, we've also been informed that a major reform package designed to jettison up to a dozen other welfare supplements has been shelved due to the long-term cost it would impose on the budget. I think they said around $3-plus plus billion annually. So the proposed increase to the dole comes as the government starts the national rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine with 60,000 priority healthcare staff, quarantine workers and aged care residents across the country due to receive their injections this week. Now, following pressure from the welfare lobby, business groups, the Reserve Bank and amid growing support from within government ranks itself to extend pandemic payments for the jobless or permanently lift the base rate, Cabinet last night was preparing to sign off on the first real increase to the dole since the mid-1990s. The big question is, will it be enough of an increase? Well that's about it for us today. Thank you for being a part of Tuesday's programme. I hope you have a wonderful, safe day, whether you're at work, going to uni, maybe at school, whatever it is you're up to. Enjoy the rest of the day. At the John Laws Morning Show, not too far away. You can call Lawsy now if you want to get in early. one 564 652 and emails to John. The Fortress at johnlaws.com.au. That's coming up after the latest news in just a couple of moments. Plenty to get into on our social media page Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning, or just go to 2smsupernetwork.com. You can listen to our podcasts, the interviews this morning with Pauline Hansen and Andrew Lee, and in fact, the entire show. You can catch that on podcasts. We're also podcasting these days on Spotify as well. Ha. Aren't we fancy?